RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy to have you here once again for this thing that we call a podcast. And this week, I come to you with a heavy heart. Uh, One of uh, the greatest, funnest people that I've ever known in my life, who I got to call a friend, uh, has passed recently. As you all know, me and Gene Oakland passed. Uh, last week, and uh, uh, my heart, uh, like I said, uh, was. Let me, let me let me tell you about uh, back. I was in college. Back when I was in college, there's nothing. Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong. Although you were like two, but uh, bu- bucket lists came from like a movie. There was never such thing as a bucket list. You know, I, I didn't have a bucket list, but I've always had since I was in college. You didn't have buckets. They didn't have buckets yet. What 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 I always had back from college, and I still have to this day. Craig <laughs> Gutfeld is a list of people that I, in my mind, are who I want to have a cocktail with. Craig <laughs> Gutfeld. Uh, so when I was in college, me and my friends uh, would get around, would sit around, and watch Tuesday Night Titans and and all the different shows. And uh, if if you guys have never heard of Tuesday Night Titans. Please Google it and, and put it on YouTube. It was, uh, it, at the time, it was the most bizarre thing that you've ever seen as a wrestling fan. At times, it was brutal, and it, but you just couldn't take your eyes off of it. It was a wrestling talk show. Uh, it was one of those things that I wouldn't exactly say it was entertaining, but like I said, you couldn't turn away. Uh, the two guys on my list, the uh, top two guys of my list of who I wanted to have a cocktail uh, with uh, were Mean Gene Okerlund and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, they were at the top, and there was a long way to number three. There's a lot of room in between that list. And, you know, it's unreal looking back now. Um, if, if you'd have told me back then that I could have a drink with those guys, the college me would have been like, uh, you know, that's a dream come true. And, you know, I got to become friends with both of them, travel with them, get to know their families. Uh to and and you know the funny part is they were just as cool you know you see people and you say hey it'd be nice to have a drink with them and then you get to meet them or something and they're they have an attitude or they're they're, they're not what you and i've met my share of those people too they're not what you think they are uh you know you picture somebody but bobby and and gene uh were both what you'd expect them to be they were hilarious they were friendly they were uh, giving of their time, giving of their, uh, you know, the, the giving of their knowledge, uh, you know, and and many people have said it, and I'll echo it. Uh, it means more when it comes from Vince or Triple H or Eric Bischoff than it does when it comes from me. But Gene Oakland was the best at what he did in the world. Nobody ever will be as good. Nobody ever was. Uh, when I wa- when I was a kid, uh, a lot of people that we talked to wanted to be you know on this show, wanted to be Hulk Hogan, wanted to be Dusty Rhodes. I wanted to be just like me, Gene Okerlund, and uh, he helped me so much. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, we used to do local market interviews. The subject has actually come up on social media in talking about Gene and how instrumental he was. Um, 
I was in charge back in 96 all the way till the end of WCW or really until syndication went away because the local market interviews, for those of you who may not know, uh, we talk about coming to, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this coming Friday night, we're going to be in Miami, you know, and, and they would air in Miami, you know, James L. Knight Center, come down, get your tickets, looking forward. We'd run down the car. They'd run down the card and bring in a guest to talk about, oh, I can't wait to come to Miami. Uh, I can't wait to come to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, wherever, fill in the city and, and They'd send those all out syndicated to all the different towns. And and back when I first started uh, full-time in WCW, I took over as producer for the local market interviews. Uh, we had a, this gray box that they set up in the parking lot. Uh, it was air-conditioned, and it was just a little box. And there was a green screen, and there was a teleprompter, and... Uh, there was uh, enough room for a producer and and a cameraman, and I'd, it'd be my job to go out and fill, you know, find guys to do those interviews. And you know, it's funny the guys that would lo- that would love to do those interviews. And back then, it wasn't a high profile thing because you're only airing in one market. Uh, you know, it was hard to get some of the big names to do them. But some of the guys who really excelled. Uh, Including my including uh, my guest this week, and I didn't mention we're going to talk to Ernest the Cat Miller and what should be a, a, an amazing conversation with an incredible guy. Uh, look, really looking forward to that. Um, but want to get back to Gene. So Gene, for the longest time, did those local market interviews, and Ernest would do them, and that's where he honed his craft. And William Regal and 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 Chris Jericho begged me. Chris Jericho used to say, "Please, he'd be the first one. He'd be there before we were, waiting outside that gray box to go work with Gene Oakland." Disco Inferno was was talking about it on social media. We were talk, talking about how much we laughed and how funny Gene was. And you know, the the best stuff is the stuff that never made it. You know, the Gene sense of humor and and you know, I think I said on social media it was almost like a, a mark of honor if you could make Gene, Mean Gene laugh during an interview because it didn't happen often but you knew you did something right you said something really funny if you could kind of crack him up in an interview but you know even the little things um I at one point I we were down in South Florida doing Monday night show and I brought my family backstage uh didn't take them in the dressing room but I took them around and my father and my mother and my brother and my wife and two young kids at the time and uh I introduced my dad to Gene Gene legitimately wanted you know most people don't want to talk to your dad uh, you know I didn't want him to talk to my dad I just wanted him to say hello uh but he said so you know what do you do and my dad was is a psychologist uh, he's retired now and Gene was really fascinated with that and they sat and talked for about 20 minutes uh about you know my dad's life and Gene's life and work me and and every time from that day every time after WCW I would see Gene he would always ask, hey, how's your dad? Tell him I said hello. Seriously, always ask. There was never one time that he didn't ask. And, you know, he met my father one time. He thought he was an interesting guy. Uh, and my it always stuck with my dad. Uh, the first thing I did when I heard is I texted my dad. And uh, and so that was just the kind of guy he was. He, he was a giver, not a taker. And he was... Uh, he was hilarious and talented, and he called me the Lonsman. And for the longest time, I had no idea what that meant, but it's a, a name for a Jewish gentleman, and that is my background. So he would pitch to me. He'd call me the Lonsman. So I just want to say, Mean Gene, 
from the Lonsman, rest in peace. It was an honor to know you, and you will be very, very missed. And so that's that. That wasn't easy. And uh, like I said, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Ernest the Cat Miller. What a character this guy is. And if he's anything like he was back in the day, uh, strap on your seatbelt and get ready for an interview like none other. Or I like to say conversation. I do want to hit very briefly on all elite wrestling. I'd be silly if I didn't. Uh, It's changing the game. Uh, As you know, the big announcement on New Year's Eve. Oh, Happy New Year, by the way. Just sucks to wake up the second day of the new year and to hear that Mean Gene is gone. It just—it's not a good way to start a year. So, I uh, apologize if little uh, little monotone on this one, but uh, we'll get into it with Ernest, I'm sure. But uh, but happy New Year! And uh, as you saw, New Year's Eve, uh, they released a video that they were starting All Elite Wrestling, and tomorrow uh, they have a uh, kind of a event uh, that's going to be streaming in from Jacksonville. Uh, for those of you who live under a rock, it's uh, Cody Rhodes, uh, the Young Bucks, Frankie Kazarian, Christopher Daniels, Scorpio Sky, uh, SoCal Uncensored, they're called, uh, Hangman Page, Brandy, uh, Rhodes, uh, and um, they started a company with uh, with the son of the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who's only worth like $6 billion. Uh, and this is probably going to be the biggest challenge that Vince McMahon will have since uh, the end of WCW, which was <laughs> almost 20 years ago. 18 years ago. So um, those guys are on fire and they're, they're, they're starting a revolution and they're going to have tomorrow from Jacksonville uh, because that's where the Jaguars play a, uh, a kind of an announcement, a uh, live event, free live event. And they're going to make some important announcements of which I have no idea what they will be. But uh, what I will tell you is a little bit of a tease is Frankie Kazarian, who is a member of all Elite Wrestling, I, I think. Uh, he's going to be at the pep rally, at least. Uh, is going to come and uh, talk to us next week and tell us what he can about uh, what's going on. So, friend of the show, Frankie Kazarian. Hopefully, we'll have an inside view on this show over the next year or so uh, from Frankie. We could check in with him once in a while and see what's going on with All Elite Wrestling. But uh, talk about a great time to be a wrestler. Uh, if you... Uh, want to make money. Uh, There's a lot of money behind this project and there's a lot of talent. Interesting, I saw today and I don't know, I don't want to read into any of this, but uh, apparently Bill Goldberg on his uh, Twitter has the All Elite logo uh, with all the information for the the Double or Nothing pay-per-view, which is going to be the follow-up to All In. Uh, I'm assuming there's going to be another StarCast to go along with that, but I'm haven't heard anything for sure. So uh, going to strap on your seatbelt uh, and um, should be an interesting year in the professional wrestling business. Usually about this time, all we're talking to is the road to WrestleMania, but there's so much more to talk about uh, with uh, All Elite Wrestling and, and to see where that goes, to see the talent that they're able to get. 
You know, I saw it speculated that they may be able to get AJ Styles when his contract is over. That would fit perfectly, of course, if they're trying to get Kenny Omega. But a lot will happen over the next year, and I don't want to jump the gun, but congratulations to those guys who took a risk, took a chance, bet on themselves, and the bet looks to be paying off. So uh, we'll have Frankie on next week. Uh, at least that's what, uh, what the agreement was, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about all elite wrestling and what's going on behind the scenes. So uh, right now, though, want to bring on a uh, kind of old school guy, but uh, uh, one of the most uh, charismatic uh, people that I got to meet while in WCW. You know, some people just got it. Some people, you put them in front of a microphone, you put them in front of a camera, uh, and, and, and they just you say go, and they go, and they, and they get it. From the beginning, and this guy got it from the beginning and uh, put together a very successful career. And I'm honored to have him on. We're going to chat about his career, uh, about his uh, movie career and the movie The Wrestler, and so much more. Please welcome the cat, Ernest Miller. All right, ladies and gentlemen, very happy this week to have on City Ringside the cat, Ernest Miller. We're going to catch up with the cat and see what he's doing. But, cat, welcome to City Ringside. How are you, sir? David, I'm doing great, man. How about you and yourself? How are you and your family doing? I'm doing all right. Happy New Year, man. Same to you, my friend. So, long time no speak, long time no see, but you're an interesting character, and I think this would be a fun conversation. Uh, I wanted to start out on, on uh, we started the podcast out talking about the death of Mean Gene. And, and I'm wondering, um, as somebody who was a new, newbie in the business, who ended up being a hell of an entertaining promo, um, speaking of you, sir, how much did Gene, if at all, help you to create the cat character and to, uh, to, to learn the art of the promo? Dave, you, as you know, uh, we all spent, it was like brief to me about four or five years, but we, we got pretty close there at WCW, all of us. And uh, me and Gene used to ride with me sometimes, you know, from the venue to the hotel. And this particular night, he was riding with me, and uh, he stopped me. And, uh, and, and, you know, we used to joke around a lot. Yeah. But this, uh, this night, he was serious, and he said, Cass, I want to just tell you something. He said, you got it, man. He said, you got what it takes to be very successful. He said, you're entertaining, you're athletic, you got, you know, you're quick. He just said, you know, you got it. And he said, the only person I know who, who had instinctively like that was um, Hulk Hogan. Wow. So, you know, he was very complimentary of, of, of my work and, and special. But I love doing interviews with him. We used to have so much fun, man. Just being, when I found out I had to work with you or either him, it was like, oh, man, I'm going to love this. Yeah, yeah, there's nobody nobody like him, and uh, he can make uh, a boring promo entertaining and an entertaining promo stellar. Uh, and, uh, and and I'll tell you what, knowing Gene like I, I did and, and, and we stayed in touch over the years, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, there's a lot of guys in the wrestling business, as you know, that'll, you know, they're driving with you and they'll say, hey, you got it, man. I haven't seen anybody since Hulk Hogan, and they're just talking crap. But uh, if Gene gave you a compliment like that, he meant it because he didn't, he didn't have time for bullshit. Uh, man, let me, you know what, Dave? I'm going to tell you something about, about being Gene, man. This guy was like, you know, it, I thought, for instance, I thought I was special. But, you know, reading all the uh, 
things that people are posting now about him since he passed away showed me that it wasn't just me special. He was special. He made everybody feel great. He made everybody feel good around him. You know, it was just him as that person that, you know, I would think, okay, he's uh, he just like me. You know, no, he's like everybody. He made everybody feel special. Yeah, uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think I already did. But uh, thank you for your 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 uh, your memories of of Gene, and we'll all miss him. I know. So, well, you ahead. know what? The last time, the last time I seen Gene was in uh, North Carolina in November, and um, we were sitting in a bar, of course, and we had talked <laughs> for a little while. We talked for a little while. He was in a wheelchair, so I was like, "Man, what are you doing in a wheelchair?" He just said he was just. You know, he's just resting. It was an easy way to get around. So my wife and I, we ate dinner, and and um, it started getting kind of late. And me and Gene were still sitting in the corner with these two girls, you know. And, uh, <laughs> so, I got, so he had a drink in his hand, of course. As I got ready to leave, I walked past Gene. I said, let me go. Let's go this way. You know, so I walked past Gene. He was talking to these girls. And I didn't want to interrupt him, so I leaned over. I swear I leaned over and kissed him on the top of his head. Then oh. he learned. He looked up at me. He was like, "Cat, don't you put your lips on me like that? Don't you do it?" <laughs> you know, and that mean Gene voice. Then I get a text message later saying, "Hey, let's have a drink here at the bar. Come down and meet me at the bar." <laughs> so you know that was typical him, man. It was just so. You know, he was such a kind and, and will be missed man he's such a good guy man yeah that's sad to hear he was in a wheelchair i didn't know that he was in bad health i had seen him last at uh uh wrestlemania uh, last year and uh he was he was fine so uh obviously you know uh guy went to gotta give the guy credit he uh went through three livers in one lifetime so uh or kidneys kidneys did you hear what happened to him i mean what was the cause I heard a brief something on uh, on one of the newscasts yesterday that he fell down and never recovered. I don't know if that's true. That was just on on uh, on one of the cable news channels. But uh, uh, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I think they're kind of keeping it uh, tight lipped. And uh, I think that if knowing Gene the way I knew him a little bit, that he probably wouldn't want people, you know, going on about how he died. They want people going on about how he lived and. And so that's what we're trying to do. You're right, man. And uh, yeah, he will be missed, man. So you're a, a karate champion. You're teaching karate uh, to a kid named Garrett in Atlanta. And all of a sudden you end up in the wrestling business. How did that all go down? Just like my life, crazy, crazy <laughs> situation. You know, I'm doing something I love. You know, I, I had just, just, finished my stint with the NFL. Trying out about for four years straight out to college. I tried out with New England, didn't make it. New York Jets, uh, Atlanta Falcons. So every year I was trying out with someone and uh, just wasn't making it. So I think it was about my fifth, fifth year trying out and it was New York Jets. So when they released me, I wanted to went back home and I was trying to figure things out. You know, about 20 27, 28, or something like that. And I was just trying to figure things out. So I thought about, you know, hey, let me go back to what I love. And that was teaching karate. So I started by competing, and then I ended up teaching karate, and I ended up in a karate school here in Atlanta 
in a pretty good area of town, Marietta. Sure. And um, we had a bunch of karate students, and one of them just happened to be a little bit of kid with blonde hair. Matter of fact, with a blonde mullet. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, he just happened to turn into one of my favorites. Didn't know his father because his father did not bring him in. It was mostly his mom. His mom would bring him in, drop him off, you know, and we'll work out together and, uh, you know, and he'll go home and hearing out that his mama called me up and said, hey, Garrett needs some extra help on this. And I said, I'll get there early and we'll meet. And, and, you know, and I had a bunch of students, so I can't just pick out one. But right. Garrett was one of the top, one of my, one of my, um, one of my students that I really kind of, kind of grew close to because of his personality. So at what point did uh, you find out what his father did and, and get in this wacky business? It was so funny. You know, in karate, when you teach karate, everybody taking everybody taking a class or two. Even my grandfather, who was 100 years old, he would break down in a stand talking about his karate days. God bless and, uh, you. Know, so everybody had something to say about it. So, you know, we would work on something, and I'll work on something with him. Then when he would get back, to school to get back to lessons the next day or the day after. We had talked about the, the technique that they learned before. And he always would bring up something, say, well, my dad told me I should do it this way. <laughs> and then I look at it, although it's a little different from where the way I taught them or was teaching the technique, it was right. So I started to think maybe his dad may know a little about karate. I don't know how much, but he may know something. I said, yeah, it's right. That, that's a good way to do it. So that's why I got, but I've never been a dad. So, you know, I, I kind of knew that dad knew a little more shards. So one day he came in, Gary came in and he told me, he said, Mr. Miller, when is, when is our fight date? I said, it's on Wednesday. He said, my dad want to come in on Wednesday. I said, why? I said, he want to bring his game. He want to spar. So I said, what? He said, yeah. So, and on Wednesday, we have like, I had like about four black belts teaching at this school. I was the chief black belt, but I had four black belts under me that were younger. It was in great shape. They were pretty get with the We'll get with the kids and we'll spar the kids. I tell all my black belts to line up and we'll line up and then we'll start on the end with one kid's face, one kid facing the black belt take down. So, this gave the kids the opportunity to spar and not feel fear, afraid. Just just spar, move around with a black belt, move around so you can see where the kids are. So anyway, this was our sparring day. So this was like on a Monday, and I said, "Why?" He said, "My dad wanted to know." Uh, that's the Wednesday. So anyway, I said, "I said, where's your dad at now?" He said, "That's him. He's over outside." So I looked outside of my dojo where you could see the wall. And it was a guy with some thick black hair. He didn't come in the whole time. I swear he was on the phone for two hours. <laughs> walking back. Then I, I, I couldn't really make him up while I've seen that face somewhere before. You know, and I used to, well, I was a wrestling fan, but I didn't watch it all the time then. Right. So I said, I've seen that somewhere before. So anyway, Wednesday came. Wednesday came, and, and first we got in there, and we started working out. The kids came in there. The kids used to all like to challenge me. Because what I would do, I would try to make them feel comfortable with people swinging at them and sparring. And when you hear fight, people get afraid and clam up. I did not want the kids to do that. I wanted them to stay relaxed and work through it. So what I would do, I would get out there. 
and tell the kids who score, the first one to score a meal win, wins the fight. So anyway, we start fighting. When the kid would come at me to keep from throwing technique, what I would do is flip. I could do flips. So I would flip over them, land on my feet, then he'd swing at my leg, and I'd jump up and do a split. Or I'd just make them miss and just have fun. Right. So I, Garrett walked in, and this is the funny part. Garrett walked in with his father, and his father had his karate gi under his this guy with the black hair, it was Eric, but with the black hair, came in, had his karate gi unfold on his arm. That's oh crap. Here come another parent, man. We're going to get sued. <laughs> I'm like, I said, somebody's going to hurt that dude, man. He's coming out here. I said, somebody's going to hurt him. So, anyway, he, 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 Nathan, you know, he walked in. He said, How you doing, Miss Miller? Shook my hands. I'm doing great. He said, My son, talk about your line. I just want to come up here and work out with him. Do you mind if I spar? I said, yes, who you want to spar? He said, I'll just go down the line. I said, all right. So what I usually do, I start with the the best. I start with a good guy on the end. Then it gets better as you come down. And, of course, I'm the last one. So, you know, if you get, get past one of those, you had to still end up with me. That's how we had it. We had it sanctioned out like that. So when other black belt was calm, by the time they got to me, I seen, I've seen enough. I know what they look like. I know what they fight. So if I had to put my foot in their ass, it was easy to do because now I've seen they fight. So that's how I know. So this guy came with the black hair, pretty white teeth. I mean, pretty face. He came in. And he said, where can I get dressed, Mr. Miller? I said, you can go to the locker room. And I was about to tell him. I was like, man, you guys don't hurt this guy, man. This, you know, Garrett Fathers. So he, he lined up in the way we start fighting. He lined up with one of my black belts, and I'm moving around with one of the kids, and I just hear some thumping and people cheering. And I look down on the other end, this guy with the black hair, Eric, kicking this guy butt, man. I mean, kicking <laughs> So I said, oh, that's, that's okay, because, you know, this guy just started. He ain't been fighting for five years, so, you know, the parent is a little better than what I thought. So I said, okay, brace. And he moved down to the next one, heard the same thing. He beat this guy, but then he moved down to the next one. And by the time you know, he had beat up all my teachers. I mean, literally beat up my teachers. I mean, he was like disrespectful beating them up. Not just like, he was like, you guys are like, I got something to prove to my son. So when he got to me, you know, I had my game face on. So when he got to me, I bowed. And I remember coming out. And I had my foot so high in the air that he couldn't block it. So I hit him with a kick. It hit him across the head. Then he tried to do something else. He tried to grab my leg and sweep my leg. When he grabbed my leg, I, I was able to jump up and flip over him with him holding my leg. And his eyes got big. <laughs> and then he he stopped throwing stuff. And then Nathan, you know, I'm looking at him waiting to see what he's going to do next. And I heard a voice cheering, come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. And that voice usually is come on, Ernest, or come on, Mr. Miller. So I realized it was Garrett cheering for his father. So what I started doing is, no, I just kind of snapped back into it. And what I started doing, because I said, this is his father, I started letting his father do something to me. And I said, oh, that was good. You know, I kind of slowed it down a little bit. Right. And kind of turned it down a little bit. So when that fight was over, Eric was in the back getting dressed, so, you know, we went back there, we bowed, he went to the back. So as I went back to the back, I got dressed, I went back in the back in the locker room, and Eric said, man, you are great, man. He said, you are talented too, man. 
And he said, listen, thanks for not, he said, thanks for not kicking my head off my neck. <laughs> he said, no, you're pretty good. He said, no, you 10 times, brother. I know you let me do that. And, you know, I'd like to thank you for that. And he just said, and by the way, you know, uh, you need to come and work for me. I said, why? He said, work with me. I said, why? He said, you talented, man. You're good looking. You're athletic. He said, you got charisma. He said, you do good on my TV show. And I said, what's your TV show? And he said, pro wrestling. And I looked at it and I said, you know what? That sounds good, but Eric, let me tell you something. I work too hard to smash people. I don't know how to let up and be fake. That's what I told him. He said, well, it's not all fake. Just think about it and, you know, get back to me. So that was the story. You know, we said, now, about two years later, I went back to him and he said, okay, you can, I like to start now. He said, you can uh, start by going, in, going to school and uh, down to the power plant and start to get you right. And Sarge got me right. He blew your ass up? Man, he blew me up the first day. But <laughs> I, I wasn't a quit. When he blew me up, I said, I'm not going to quit. You know, that you can't make me quit. So that made me come back every day. You know, think about it. I was a, absolutely my whole life very focused and dedicated. So the harder you work me, and especially when I get that you try, everybody else around me is dropping off, I'm, on, I'm showing up. You know, it's a fight to me. Absolutely. So it was pretty good. And then that's when I got into the business, I saw meeting people like you. And you guys made it so much fun. You know, I tell everybody this, and, and, and they still don't get it. They Some people say you got over. Some people say you did a great job. You know, you was okay. But what people don't understand, I have never had a wrestling match in my life. I went straight from the karate floor straight into – CW straight into a pay-per-view, and now I'm thrown right in the middle of maybe one of the best times of wrestling ever. Round. So many different talented athletes, man, and I had to learn on the run. You know, I had to learn, okay, this is how you do that, man, but being around guys like you, yourself, uh, Dusty Rhodes, uh, Mean Gene, uh, Harlem Heat, man, being around guys like you guys kind of took me under your wing and just said, okay, don't worry about it. I remember, Penza, we did a, we did, we were shooting something, and uh, I was pretty good at doing interviews. And you said, Ernest, Cat, can you do this? And I, I forgot what it was. It was something I had to read and then act it out. And it, it was so different for me that I felt so bad that I couldn't do it. And you said, listen, don't worry about it, man. You will not believe the people that come in and have been doing this still can't do it. So, I mean, you know, that made me feel good that you didn't look down on me and just write me off and say, oh, you're terrible at this. You just actually gave me support and you gave me the encouragement to go and work on it and get better at it. Well, thank you. I, I don't remember that, but I appreciate the sentiment. Hey, um, so you started with the Glacier and Wrath and Mortis, the whole uh, Mortal Kombat uh, deal. Uh, Jim Mitchell uh, has been on this podcast before, and he said that he was told by Eric basically that the Glacier deal was dead on arrival because uh, the NWO had changed everything. Uh, did anybody smarten you up on that fact when you started in that, uh, that, that, that gimmick? Well, remember, I wasn't even supposed to be in that gimmick. That wasn't my gimmick. You know, my thing was to come out as a just uh, individual wrestler. But Glacier got hurt, and I think the thing was dying down. You know, it wasn't catching on right. And they were spending a ton of a ton of money just to put it on them, at, you know, on those Monday nights. They said, listen, we need something 
So they asked me if I would mind coming out and doing this thing with Glacier. And of course, you know, I was like, man, it's my job. The money I'm getting paid, hell, I'll do anything. <laughs> so, yes, I said, okay, yes, I'll come out. So he said, what we want to do, jump into the ring and, and kick the hell out of everybody. So that's what I did, you know, and they put a spark in it for a while, you know, but like, but like you said, people just wasn't for some reason, for some reason, they just didn't get over because, you know, like you said, NWO came, that was all the attention went to those guys. Well, and that was sort of real. It was presented as real, and and the uh, Mortal Kombat stuff was like video games. So it was like it, it couldn't be more uh, uh, different. And uh, you know, the real stuff was getting over. So the you know the 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 Mortal Kombat stuff sort of faded away. But you went on, and they turned your heel, put you with Sonny, and you guys. Uh, you guys have, were a hell of an act. What are some of your memories uh, when you started working with Sonny and you really started evolving on the mic at that time? You know, when I first, when, when, before I even started on the mic, they brought me in as this good guy. You know, I went in with the smile, the pretty white teeth, and, <laughs> and you know, I was supposed to be a good guy, not saying anything. And I was a little nervous during those times, man. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't know who to ask, what question to ask to get better. So, you know, I'm trying to learn, and they will put me on Monday nights and Thursday nights and all this stuff. So I uh, I just remember when NWO came in, and I'm, I'm sitting in the catering, and I'm looking around. I see Ric Flair. I see Hall. I see Nash. I see Hogan. I see Macho Man. I was like, man, these are guys I was watching when I was in college, when I did, man. I can't believe I'm here. So I'm sitting out by myself eating, and next thing you know, I hear boys behind me, and I look up, and it's Scott Hall. And Scott Hall said, hey, excuse me, Cat. Uh, I'm Scott Hall. I said, I know you are. He shook my hand. He said, you mind if I sit here with you? I said, no, sir. He sat out. Man, and he gave me the best, like, kickoff conversation ever. He told me, listen, people going to give you advice. People going to tell you to do this. People going to hate what you're doing. Gonna like what you're doing, but this is what I think you should do. And the advice he gave me, man, was if I, you know, if I, if I stuck to that bit by bit, like I tried to, things would have been smoother all the way through my WWE days. But you know, you kind of get away from that because you hear so much stuff. But you know, Scott Hall was like one of the nicest guys, man, that I could meet. That 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 really I met in the business. Dustin Rhodes was was help helpful, you know. So. These guys right here got me started, man. And, uh, and Disco Inferno were one of the first guys who really brought that side out of me, getting on the mic. Because as you know, Pizza, in the locker room on a Monday night, you got probably 10 to 15 of the best crap-talking guys in the world. Sure. And every night, if they get on you, they all will get on you. If they feel they smell meat or blood, they coming <laughs> after you in that. So we all in the locker room. And we just talking smack, and somebody started something about my fake karate, and then Scott Hall came in. He got on me to my old boo. You scared? He got on me. Then uh, Nash got on me, and then Hogan got on me, and then they were all coming at me, you know, telling their little jokes and their little fake karate jokes, and, <laughs> and just cracking, cracking on what I had on. You know, I had this leather. You know, they wouldn't know about this because this was styling and profiling. And I had a black, <laughs> I had a black, I had a black Gucci 
jumpsuit on, you know, I was looking like Matt Style, you know, so they wouldn't know. Those country boys wouldn't know, but they was all over me. And at the same time, they was all over me. Guess what? I was talking back to them. I was going at everybody. So the locker room was going crazy, just laughing and having fun. So I think Disco Inferno went around and told Terry Taylor, the booker, he was like, man, this guy cat can talk, man. He said, what you mean? He said, the more stuff you throw at him, the better he is. You have to see him go at it. Say he was holding his own now with all these guys. So when when Tara Taylor heard that, Tara Taylor walked up to me and said, "Listen, I heard what you were doing in the locker room. Just do it every time you go out and get on the mic." And you know that that that's what the beginning of it. You know, yeah. I went out and have fun, man. I mean, I can get on the wrestler. I can. The fans were easy to get on because they wanted somebody to say something to them. As you know, because when you're in the ring and you try to do a TV show, you got this person on the front row trying to get your attention. <laughs> And for some reason, I gave them that time. When they try to get my attention, somebody talking, and I got something to say, I'll turn to the, I'll be trying to get it out. And they say, you know, I'll turn to that person talking and say, sit down, shut up. <laughs> and that just was the beginning, you know, and it was real. You know, I meant that. So when I come in, I came in one time, and they gave me the mic, and I was supposed to introduce somebody, but every time I get a word out, the crowd would get loud, right? So then I wait till they die down. And then I started to talk again. And I forgot I was on TV. Started to talk again. The crowd started yelling again. So after a while, I just really got fed up. And I said, y'all shut the hell up. <laughs> and that's when the crowd just burst. And people started getting whipped at. You know, people started having a good time and, 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 and really getting whipped at. And, and because it was just like a part of our home and a part of so many good friends and good people in the WCW, man, that, that, you know what, it was easy for me to learn on the road. You know, just get out there, man, and, and working in the ring with people like, you know, guess who used to train me when I first got down there? We did show from show in every little city, and that was uh, Brad Armstrong. Wow. One of the best. Just a working Brad, man, let me tell you something. It was just like having a party every night with me in class. And it, and it would get so good sometimes that, I forget I'm in a match and I start watching him, what he's doing in the ring. You know, he'll throw me down. He'll say, stay here. And I'm like, what are you going to do? He'll, he'll get outside the ring, mess with people. Then he'll slide back in. Man, this guy was so talented, man, that I, I could have had a better teacher. Yeah, another one gone too soon, but he was he was uh, a talent and also one of the funniest guys in the back. You didn't always see it, you know, uh, in front of the camera, but behind the scenes, he was uh, one of the wittiest guys out there. You know, it's funny you mentioned the locker room. So many real uh, gimmicks and real jobs come out of, you know, the banter in the locker room. I remember, you know, Stevie Ray used to do the color commentary just to entertain everybody towards the end of, uh, of, of WCW when things were sort of falling apart and they ended up uh taking that i think it was disco as well who who was telling them you need to put him on color commentary and he ended up uh doing a great job on thunder for so long so it's funny how uh what goes on in the dressing room a lot of time is because it's real life and i always say that you know you could have a million writers but what what what, what the, the the real life personality and what happens naturally is uh is always the most entertaining i think uh and i think you're proof I think you're proof of that. You know what, Pinza? That locker room and that train of thought can make you or break you. Because everything I did in the ring in WCW was because of the back locker room. I said, hey, this is going to be funny when I do this. 
Because if it was good, soon you get back to the locker room. The locker room is laughing. The boys talking about it. You know, like one of the the, the best beat down was like Virgil when he had to go out and confront Harlem Heat, and then he confronted them and telling you know, hey, uh, NWO coming for you two next, and then they they got together and beat them, beat Virgil down, and that was the funniest beat down. I mean, the whole <laughs> locker room was laughing at Booker T sneaking behind Virgil, holding him up while while Booker T beat him down, and it was such a funny thing. So. You know, it goes to show you everything that I was doing was just to, for the cut. The best stuff was in the locker room, you know, and the, and, and and some of the stuff we were doing when when you finish, you want to go back to the locker room, get approval from the locker room because those are the guys who really know the business, you know. Right, absolutely. So, and that happened. That that's, that was easier to do because I knew what would make the locker room laugh. But then when I got the WWE, it was so different there, man. Nobody in the locker room wanted to say anything because it's like they was afraid for their job. They was afraid somebody was going to take their take their job, you know, or, or do better than them or, or, or take the spot. Whatever it was, man, it was like a totally different different place when you went to WWE. Not just the business, but a totally different place. Well, we'll get there to WWE in a minute. Uh, definitely want to talk about it. the funny thing is when I was doing research for this interview, I don't even remember, you know, because I guess after the WCW went out of business and I started working for this company, the XWF down in Tampa, we never really got anywhere. We did some TV and I guess I just wasn't paying attention because I don't remember you in W, uh, in, in, if somebody had said to me three weeks ago, did Ernest Miller ever work in WWF? I'd say, no, I don't think so. But yeah, you did. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. But it was funny. I I I, I had no memories of that. Uh, I guess I was sort of wasn't watching wrestling at that time. Hey, two, talk, talk two men of two men two men of punches to your head. <laughs> no punches to my head. Too many shots. Hey, tell me about working with tell me about working with James Brown. How was that? Because that whole stick was really oh, fun. Oh man, you know what? That was such a. a, a uh, that's a part of my life, highlight of my life, man, that I would never forget. And I wish, I wish I could relive that every day. It was just, it was super fun. And, you know, and, and growing up, that was my number one entertainer right there, James Brown. Once he started doing his dance, man, you know, and it was and it was so fun that people caught the story behind it was how we got James Brown to come. You know, I had to actually literally do some sneaking around. I had to find out what James Brown practiced there because he didn't have a manager. I didn't know if he would even do it, man. So they would. I, I had to drive about three hours, about four times, till I finally got to meet somebody who could tell me what James Brown was at. So I could ask him to come and do this with us, you know, do the pay-per-view if he would do it with us. So I would drive down. I found out where he lived. I went to the house. They would never let me in. They wouldn't let me in the damn gate. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't get in that way to one day somebody told me, said, Jane Brown practice here every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. So I went there and I heard the music playing and I finally said, I'm going to finally get to meet Jane Brown and hopefully he'll come and work with me in WCW. And I heard the music playing live like a band was playing, man. And I sat outside the door until, trying to be respectful, so I sat outside the door until the music died down. And I went in there about, I sat out there about two hours. I finally opened the door and went in there. and wasn't nobody in there. It was just a damn radio, a big loud. 
I was mad as hell, man. I, I went back to Atlanta. I got back to Atlanta, man. I kicked the doors in. I said, forget that. <laughs> and then I met Booker T. Booker, Booker T. White, Charmel. Right. She was like, oh, I used to dance with him. I can get in touch with him. I was like, damn, I went through all this, and you all I had to do was ask <laughs> people. So anyway, she contacted him, and, you know, and uh, he said, he told me he watched the show, and he had been always been a wrestling fan, and, uh, you know, he said, and, and at that time, I think we had writers. I don't know why, but they didn't write anything. They just told him, Vince Russo just told me, do what you like. You know, and I said, how about this? They said, okay, do it. How about this? They said, we don't know how it's going to work. And I said, well, let's just try it. You know, so we led up to the pay-per-view. And, of course, me going out live telling him I'm about to sign a big contract with James Brown and James Brown coming on and we're going to do this and that. But let me tell you something. We was in, in, in San Francisco. When James Brown music hit and James actually came through those curtains, I, I've been in wrestling for a while then. That had to be one of the biggest pops I've ever heard, man. I mean, it went crazy, man. Jane Brown had this big smile on his face, man, and <laughs> he walked to the ring, man, and he was having such a great time. You know that we didn't tell him to dance. We didn't tell him. You know, you can't tell the king what to do. We were just hoping whatever he did, I could play off of it. Sure. But James got in the ring, man. If you look at it, he got in the ring. The music was playing. I said, hey, turn my music off. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit. I said, turn my Jane Brown music off. The music went off. Then Jane Brown said, turn my Jane Brown music <laughs> off. They turned the music back on. It was such great timing, you know. And next thing you know, then Jane started hitting the music, started doing that. And I went out, did my little dance. He did his dance. We didn't tell him to do that. Wow. He didn't have to. He did his dance. I did my dance. Then I looked over, and, it, and, and his right-hand man had these two capes in his hand. So I said, I wonder if he would do this. So I thought we were going to put it on him. So I went down, did my boy, and I just went down to the ground, didn't say anything, no time anything. I just, boom, nailed down to the ground. Next thing you know, James looked at his right-hand man. His right-hand man was standing there enjoying the show. James reached and snatched the capes out of his hand and brought the cape and put it on me. I'm, and, and listen, when he put the cape on me, I walked off, I threw it off. He stepped back and let me do my dance. And let me tell you something, man. James Brown was all into that. When he went back to the locker room, he said, man, I haven't had this much fun doing something in a long time. And this is the king right here to me. Sure. And he was just had such a great time, man. And he talked to me a little while. He gave me a little knowledge, you know, uh, 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 how he how – he, started entertaining, how he started watching wrestler back in the olden days doing this. He'd been a fan for a long time and he loved watching WCW and uh and he gave me the case. He said, Here you can have you can have the case. So I was just so happy and I remember I left the case laying on the floor. Right. So then he let me he was like, Yeah, don't leave the case. Get the case. You know, I had them made. My man made them. So when I I, I sent sent somebody the wardrobe guy said take those capes to my to my locker so he put took the cape I still got the capes now but wow. about maybe three years after he died they did this thing on the internet to where they talking about James Brown his career and um, they even said you know he even did pro wrestling with the likes of Ernest Miller where he danced with Ernest Miller at the uh, Cow Palace in uh, in uh, San Francisco. But this is a good part because his family were fighting over money, his money, 
they were going to court and doing all that, they decided to auction off a lot of his stuff. So after they did that, like about, a, about two years after he died, I get a call. I get a I get an email first. Then the email asked for my information. He would told me who it was, and I called it some auctioneer. And he just was telling me, he said, you know, those capes are worth a hundred and some thousand dollars a piece. I just auctioned off some of his original stuff, and this is what his capes that he actually used that he didn't use but had them made went for. Would you like to sell them? And I said, oh heck no, no. You know, I said, you know, I put it right with my Muhammad Ali glove. Those are my two two guys, you know. So that was, uh, you know, that was a pretty good thing right there to know that the capes are even worth money out there right now. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, I got to take pictures with a lot of celebrities over the years. And, you know, I'll post on some on social media. and They have that throwback Thursday. But well, one of the most cherished ones I have is the one I have with James Brown. Uh, he, You're right. He was the nicest guy in the world. Man, I mean, he he was uh, uh, really nice. So you mentioned <laughs> going from one subject to the other. You mentioned uh, when Russo came in and he was uh, booking, and it uh, the whole thing changed a little bit. What were your thoughts, if you had any, on 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 when Russo came in and started doing some? I'm I'm saying it, not you. Started doing some kind of crazy stuff. You know, with, with during that time right there, you know, of course, I'm still new to the business. I'm three or four years in, but it's still all new to me. So I didn't know what was going on, what to expect. You're probably better should... off. Yeah, I was. I was better off because you know why? Because nothing I wanted to do interfered with what anybody was doing. I wasn't trying to work with the higher card guys. I wasn't trying to work with the lower card guys. I was working right in that middle. So anything I wanted to do, Vince Russo said, go ahead and do it. Like the James Brown thing, it didn't involve really one of the high-level guys. You know, it didn't involve anybody else but me. You know, and um, so so he went on and said, yes. So all the other stuff going on around me, the disaster, the storms, or whatever going on around me, I'm just I'm just living my life, having a good time working, you know. So I really didn't pay a lot of attention to it, but he will always come to me. And tell me, Cat, that was good, man. After you know, after I did the James Brown stuff, and uh, first person I walked into when I walked out of the ring was on uh, Sting. You know, Sting was one of the nicest guys ever. Sure. Sting said, Sting looked at me. He said, Cat, you're over, man. He said that was like the best thing on the pay per view. <laughs> that's the best thing on this show. He said that's good. You know, so you know, I felt good. He really didn't do a a, a lot with me. You know, he uh. He he made me him and Eric made me the uh, commissioner, right. which was fine. But that way I got to work with everybody, and uh, you know for a change I got to work with people, and it was pretty fun being a commissioner, being a heel, and and, and and doing all that stuff. I got so far over to I tell you a story right now that most people didn't understand. When I was a heel and I first turned heel, I had a lot of heat. When it was a lot of heat, then it turned into people wanting to see me. You know, it was that thing where you got so much heat. It's to start turning to cheers. People sure. start cheering you. So I got to that spot. Huck Hogan came to me and we pitched uh, pitched me a thing to where he wanted to um, drop the belt to me, the world champion belt to me, then chase me a few weeks to get it back. And uh, I remember the booking committee, which was consist of Eric, I think at that time, said, um, 
listen, that sounds good, but we rather for you to keep the belt for a while if we're going to put the belt on, on you. We don't want you to win it on a Monday, then lose it again on a Thursday, you know. But Hogan thought I was over enough to, uh, to drop the belt to me. That's a true story. I was working in talent relations at the time with Terry Taylor, and I absolutely 100% remember Hulk pitching you uh, as a short-term champion. And uh, yeah. so that that is 100% true if anybody ever tries to say you're full of it. I, I got your back on that. Hey, how'd you feel when WWF purchased WCW and the whole thing was over? Some people were relieved. Some people were sad. Some people were happy. Uh, what were your thoughts? You know what? It was kind of bitter, bittersweet, more sweet, not more bitter than the thing because I had a lot of friends that I was not going to be able to see. But at the same time, I had so much damn money, I could go see whoever I wanted to see, <laughs> not just at work. <laughs> so so it was okay, but, you know, I, but, you know, I started thinking about it, man. I just started thinking about what things could have done and what, what, what direction we were going in and you know, it was just, man, it was just a trip, man. It was just uh, different. You know, it was just, just, like I said, it was just different. You know, you didn't know what to expect, you know, because my contract, I was getting paid anyway, and I got time. And, you know, and you know this, Pender, some of us work way more than a lot of a lot of the guys. And I was one of those guys who I was on the road 280 days a year. They were sending me doing radio, doing appearances, doing house shows. And, you know, and I was just going, I was really burnt out when it came, when that time came. So me taking a break was like, okay, this is cool. I can take a break now. A lot of the talented guys on the roster by then had gotten either burnt out or pissed off or or whatever and, and didn't want to do all that stuff that you did, the house shows and the personal appearances. And you always said yes, you never said no, and you're always great at so, it. So, so let me tell you a story. So what was the guy who was both? What was the guy who was over that? Uh, Alan Sharp? No, not Alan Sharp. It's a guy, he he had just got that position where his position was to go out and get people to do the appearances. Uh, I can't think of his name now. Uh, he came one the internet guy. I don't know how he got that job. Little Weasel. Little <laughs> Weasel guy. He got that job and really nice guy. I can't think of his name now, but you'll probably think of him in a minute. But he got the job, too. That was his job. To go to these, go to the talented people and the talent is set up. Okay, hey, we need someone to go do this uh, appearance in Detroit. So he wanted me to go to California and do this HBO uh, special with me, a meet and greet. So I was like, man, I don't want to, but you know what? Let me go ahead and go in a way. That guy, who it was, one of the guys talked to me. He said, hey, we having this party in Florida. You want to come to Florida? It might have been Goldberg or, or, or Nash, one of them. But it was someone in the big name guys. He was like, I said, I got to go to California. He said, they paying you anything? I said, no, they're not paying me anything. And he said, man, let me tell you something. They stopped asking me. I said, why? I said, because in my contract, they had to pay me $50,000 just to make appearances like that after so many. I was like, what? (laughs) So, so, uh, so I already said, yes. So I told, I said, listen, I went to, I said, the only way I go, I want to stay in the best hotel. I want a limo. And, you know, he was like, okay, we get all that. Don't worry about it. We get all that. So I get to the hotel. Hotel was so big, man. It was the biggest hotel in Beverly Hills. I had my, my limo was so long, I couldn't even get it in the damn driveway because <laughs> they know I was kind of hip to what was going on. I wasn't getting paid for this. 
Man, let me tell you something. I went in there and they left the credit card, man. I got massages every day. I I ran that bill up so damn high when I got back to Monday's show. He ran up to me. He said, Cat, what the hell did you do, man? You got massages every day. You got this. You got that. I said, listen, you, I didn't get paid, so I had the best time ever. <laughs> it was so fun. I can't think of his name, though, but you know, he, he, he used to hang around in the back. Little goofy guy. Chad Damiani? No, no. Jeff no, Katz? No, it's not. No, no. He was an internet guy. Yeah. He came in for, I don't know how he got that. Borash? He used to hang around the guy. Who? Borash? No, it'll come to you in a minute. Yeah. He just, by the fact, he just contacted me on the on uh, Facebook a couple of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you've, he if used you've, to be a time tender. You know who he is. That guy just can't think of his name. He used to what? He used to be around you a lot too. White guy. He he a runner now. He run all the time. Now. Oh, he, Ross Foreman. Yeah, Ross Foreman. You know how? Yeah, Ross. Yeah. Yeah, he's working with Impact Wrestling still. I think. And you know, Ross was so funny and he was just so entertaining and such a nice guy. So he had nothing to do with it. But that weekend, if I'm going now this weekend and these guys get paid this kind of money and they're not paying me, man, listen, I'm I'm living it up. I get on credit card. That bill had to be so high. <laughs> listen, Ross had to look in the face at cat. I got the bill. What the hell did you do? You got massages every day. <laughs> That's funny because I could see Ross Foreman, who's like, you know, just a nice guy. I could see him like mortified, uh, horrified, looking at a $2,000, $3,000 hotel bill yeah. and wonder, wondering how he's going to explain that back to the bosses. Uh, that's funny, actually, now that you mentioned who yeah, it was. But he told me he explained it to us that where we didn't pay him. So, you know, just. So they wrote it all because they saved, they still, it still was a, a hell of a lot less than $50,000 with what those guys were getting paid. Sure. So uh, you mentioned that you went to WWF at some point. I, I think that you let your, co- your contract run out and collected the money, uh, which a lot of people didn't do, but you were smart enough to do. And uh, and you went to WWF. Uh, you, tell me a little bit more about you told you were talking about the dressing room, but tell me a little bit more about your experiences in WWF. You, you, yeah, you know it did. They, they gave me an option. They said, "Listen, we can buy you out, and you can sign with WWE right now. You can sign with us, or you can just go home and and pay and, and you know about for a year or two and get paid." So I said, "What the hell? That's an easy break." <laughs> I went home. I went home. I spent all. I was like a stay at home. Father, you know, I was able to take my my daughter to school every morning, take my kids, my son to AU basketball. It was just, man, it was like the best two to three years of my life, you know. And uh, I had a great time. There's no other way I could. I would have enjoyed spending my money and my time being able to be, you know, with my kids like I did from day from day to day, you know. So I got a call from um, when my contract was up. I got a call from. Um, the guy who was over there from WCW. Laurinaitis? Johnny, Johnny Ace? Yeah, Johnny Ace. Johnny Ace called me and said, hey, Kev, we want to bring you up. I want you to do a dark match. I said, why do a dark match? He know who I am. He was like, <laughs> uh, he was like, well, maybe he don't. He don't. He didn't watch it. Vince McMahon didn't watch WCW like, 
like 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 that. And I was like, well, okay, well. So I went out and did dark mask. They signed me, but then when they signed me, instead of put me in the ring, they put me they put me behind a, a, a desk. You know, I was doing like commentary and stuff like that. Something that wasn't fun at all. You know, but. I was hoping, you know, they were telling me they were going to do a lot of things with me, the reason they signed me. And they would say, we're going to do this with you. We're going to do that with you. We're going to use you as a wrestler. We're going to do a lot of things with Nick Vince McMahon. I actually sat right in front of Vince McMahon, who was one of the best guys. Man, I mean, let me tell you something. Vince would see me in the hallway. And he would walk all the way across the hall and said, shake my hand and say, hey, Cat, how you doing? And speak to me. And some of the guys around me would say, you know what? Vince had never spoke to me, and I'd be like that, and I'd been here six, seven, ten years. <laughs> so you know, I, I and you know, and me working the commentary, I was in all the, the you know how that was in all the production meetings. So right. I got to sit in front of Vince to go. Vince used to break down every part portion of the show. He'll break it down and read over the script and and let them know how he want things done. He was very active in, with and you know in the show day to day running the show. So. um he was, man. He's a hell of a, a, a spokesperson for WWE because he, he made everything. He can make the worst situation seem great, you know, and uh, like it, things are going to be better. So, you know, he, I was able to talk to him, flew with him on his plane to New York, you wow. know, and for the show, you know, I used to, you know, they used to do little shit to me, which, which I knew what they were doing. We got on this plane, we going back from D.C. to New York, it's on Vince's plane, so all the guys get on the plane first. Eight guys get on the plane first. Boom, boom, boom. I'm waiting. I'm the rookie. So when I get on the plane, it's one seat open, and that's my seat. So I sit down, and then there's one big head of the seat in front of me, and I sit down, and guess who I was sitting right in front of? Vince Webman. <laughs> I, I was on the hot seat. But Vince was saying some great things. He was like, man, listen, you got it, man. He said, you know you can be real, you real talented. You got it. All we got hope that we just can move you into these parts. And he called a couple of names with WCW that he didn't didn't believe in that he assigned, but he didn't believe in them. Didn't know they weren't gonna work out. So I got to hear a lot of the dirt too. You know, being around him with what came from him, not came from anybody else. And um, they so they put me in on Velocity. They put me on the show, and I was doing the commentary, which I was terrible at because I wasn't comfortable. You know, I you. You know how it is, man. When you have fun and you feel fun around you, I, I'm very, I, I'm active. I'm, I'm having a great time. That shows on TV. But when you're nervous about doing something, it's like you can lose your confidence in a minute. And I actually lost my confidence because I remember the very first day I went out there on Velocity and they said, okay, go. Boom, go. Boom, we started talking. I just started letting it go. Bang, bang, bang. Vince, I heard Vince in my ear. Of course, he had Vince in the ear. Peace. Vince said, hey, Cat, slow down, man. Forget. He said, listen, remember who you out there with. He's not as talented as you. You got to work with him. So he was telling me not to be myself. Right. You know, so so I, I kind of got with this page, man, and, 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 and it just wasn't working, working good. And then he told me we're going to have you to wrestle. And I remember this incident right here to where, the, the show was okay. We gonna take you. It was a it was a house show. Said Arn Anderson was giving me the rundown. He said, "Okay, you gonna go out. Boom, and these two guys gonna jump you in the end, and then we gonna send somebody out, and they gonna save. And I want you guys back to back." So I said, "Okay." 
boom, I went out there, I'm doing the match, boom, the guy jump in, get a little heat on me. Then out come John Cena at the time. He had just started. He slide in the ring, boom, he cleared the ring, what's me be back to back and and we kinda in the ring, you know, and this is a dark match. We in the ring and the crowd going crazy and uh John Cena get the mic and what they told him to do, get the mic and he started doing that yo 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 kind of hip hop thing, you know? Right. So he did that hip hop thing and then when he did that hip hop thing, he said, Y'all want the cat? And they start cheering, Yeah. I reached for the mic, tends to swear, I reached for the mic and the crowd were going crazy. I got the mic in my hand. The crowd were going crazy. Yeah, you know that how they pop. Right. They were going crazy. And they think, you know the referee came to me and said, uh, before I said anything, came to me and said, Give the mic back to John Cena. So I gave the mic back to John Cena and the crowd booed. They started booing, you know, because I didn't say anything. And then as I left the ring, I kind of on my way I kind of thought, I said, that was strange. You know, cause I thought we were gonna give them what we what they wanted. They wanted me to say something. You know how you get the mic and just talking, but they, they told us not not to do it. So I kind of felt right then. You know, I saw a feeling right there. I said these guys don't want to use us. They want to use us to enhance what they already have. Or they got us signed for a reason. We signed for some reason other than being part of this product, a part of this WWE line. This is not what, what, why they signed us. So after that incident right there, you know, it's, uh, I kind of started losing all kinds. I was there about three years, but I kind of, I started losing all kind of momentum, kind of started losing. I lost that zest for it. You know, it's kind of broke me a little bit because then you start, you start doubting yourself, you know, like, okay, cause they start putting you, they did not put you, WCW put you where you belong. That's what I felt. You know, if if we need somebody who can go through a table, they're gonna put you. They're gonna put somebody there who can make going through that table exciting. And when I was in WC WWE, it was more like just just put them part of it, just put them in there. You know, just put them in there. Not where you're gonna be successful, but just you know, they just use you in the wrong way there. And uh, it wasn't until Jr. called me in the office and said, "Cat, listen, I hate to tell you this, man. He said the writers." Said it came right for you. I said, came right for me. I said, they came right for me. So yeah, they don't know what to do with it. So we we trying to debate if we gonna resign. That's I tell you what. Let let me talk to somebody. I went and knocked on Ben's door. I sat down. I swear to God, I sat down. I said, Ben, can I talk to you? He said, Yeah, come on in. He put a chair right down in front of him. He said, Let's talk. I said, Ben, let me ask you something. I've done everything you asked me to do here. I kind of waited on you to tell me what to do. I didn't, you know, he said, yeah, Ernie, you're a good guy in the locker room. You're a great talent. He said, but the writers just don't know what to do. And I said, how do writers can't write, write for Ernest Miller? If they can't write for Ernest Miller, they can't write for Vince McMahon because I know I'm talented. He said, yeah, I told him that. He said, they know I really like you too, but they've been saying they can't write for you and I'm still keeping you around. So they feel, I know why, I swear, he said, I think they think I'm showing favoritism, you know, and, and and somebody said this right here. We did the Royal Rumble. I don't know if you saw that. I was in the Royal Rumble, I think it was 2003 or four, and it was like, like when Chris Benoit and somebody else was in the ring. I hit the ring, and I did my dance, and the crowd went crazy, huge pop, and instead of throwing those two out, I was down to the last two, and instead of throwing the two out, they, I'm dancing and doing my whole routine. And then uh, 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 
Benoit got up and threw me out the ring. The crowd popped. I went back through the back, and Chris Kanye was back there. Chris said, hey, man, you know how Vince McMahon sit at, sit at the gorilla, sit right there at the desk. He said, man, Vince was popping the whole time you was out there, man. I said, he really liked you. He knew you were popping. He said, he popped every time you did that. He just laughed. And Vince told my wife, too. He nodded to me, gave me thumbs up. And then the next night, they didn't have me on uh, – they didn't have me on Raw, you know? So – Hugh, Hugh, uh, Hugh Morris said, man, they don't know what they're doing right here. Cause you got the biggest pop on the pay-per-view of the Royal Rumble, and they don't even have you on TV tonight. You know, and I, I kind of started seeing the light then. I said, you know what, man, these guys just signing up for some other reason. And now I see, you know, because in the contract that you sign, you sign your rights over to them. Right. If I hadn't signed with them from WCW, if I hadn't signed a contract with them, they couldn't use the tape that they had of me at WCW. You know, just because you signed a contract with them, they can now use all that footage they have and not pay you and put you on uh, put you on their network. You go on their website right now, and, and, and you see they got the best of Ernest Miller. They got me, Dad, with James Brown, WCW. They showing Thunder, thunder they showing this, and haven't got one paycheck from that. You know, and uh, but I, I I remember the contract saying like once they sign you, they can use you forever, your image, however long they want to. Yeah, I haven't gotten a check either, and I'm all over that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'd be remiss to go back for a second. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, a little investigative reporting. You had mentioned that, uh, that, that Vince had confided in you about some names that he was disappointed in from WCW. Could uh, care to share? You know what? I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to put it out there because... You know, I respect that, Ernest, and I didn't think you would. But I, but if I didn't ask you, then I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be doing my job here on the podcast. Uh, so here's another question that I'd be remiss not to ask you. And I, I uh, uh, Tyrus is a friend of the show, as uh, a close friend of mine, and, and come on the show many times. Uh, so, uh, but I do want to ask you: uh, Was it bittersweet all those years later when? they sort of handed your character and your music to somebody else? <laughs> it wasn't bittersweet because I don't look at it like that. You know, it was more like, I don't know what it was. It didn't make me feel one way or the other because that's not Ernest Miller. Ernest Miller is the one, the one who can get up and jump off a rope and do a 360 and kick somebody in the head and not miss a beat. Ernest Miller is the world karate champion that's still traveling around that the taught men and young kids out there karate who look up to him. That's the Ernest Miller that you can't give away. The cat, you can give that to anybody. You can give my music. You can give my, you can give my music. You can give my, call my mama stuff. You, you can give that away. So it really didn't bother me. I liked, I liked her, man. That, he hung out with me, him and Mark, when they came to Atlanta. I really liked that guy. Smart guy, huge, real nice. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. Uh, a good hell, and they didn't keep him around. So what the hell? I'm gonna worry about. What <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, before it probably would have made me, it probably would have made me feel some kind of way if he had got over with it. But since he didn't get over with it, I didn't give a damn. Give it to somebody else. 
Absolutely. You know, nobody could say it like you. You haven't lost a beat on the uh, uh, on the stick, so to speak. And uh, I appreciate your honesty. Hey, before we wrap things up, I uh, wanted to ask you about how, getting cast in the movie The Wrestler. How did that come about? You you, you know, it, it's, it's so funny, man. It came in strong. I had moved out to L.A. and and just kind of looking, I was in a couple of other movies, um, Blood and Bones with Michael Jack White, The Legend of Bruce Lee. So I've done a lot of little little small movies. So this guy called me from from L.A. And he was like, man, they're making a movie in New York about wrestling. They need, they need a wrestler who can act and one who can actually wrestle. So they tried a couple of actors at this position, but the actors can wrestle. And they tried a couple of other wrestlers, but they couldn't act. Said, we think you'd be good for it. And I was like, why? I said, being a, playing a wrestler? I was like, no, I'm not doing that. So I thought about it. Then they said, then my wife said, just go out there and see what they're doing. So I called and said, okay, I'll go out there. And then that's what they had the nerve to say. You need to pay your own way out there. I said, oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm not paying my I called Goldberg, who had been in a few movies, and Goldberg said, man, if they really want you like that, man, they'll pay your way out there. I'll never go somewhere and pay my way. So soon he said that, I want to bought me a ticket. You bought, get you bought yourself a ticket? Yeah, so they were saying I need to pay my own way out there, and I was a little pissed off. I was like, I don't see why I need to pay my way somewhere that somebody that want to use me. They want to use me, they pay my own way. So I called up one of my friends who would know better, and it was Goldberg. And Goldberg said, listen, I wouldn't pay my own way out there. If they wanted to see me, they had to pay my way out there. I wouldn't do this. I would not pay my way out there if I wouldn't do it if I was you. And as soon as he told me that, as soon as I got <laughs> off the phone with him, I called, the, I called the airport and made my own ticket, paid for my own ticket. <laughs> I, I knew Goldberg, I was going to do the opposite of what Goldberg said he was going to do. So I went and paid my own ticket. I got out there. I drove in, got a cab. I drove over. They told me what the cab. I drove over to the uh, studio. He did little funny-looking director came out. Turned out to be dead, uh, Darren Aronofsky, and then you know, which I did not know anything about. And he kept staring at me with this funny look on his face, walking around me. He said, "Set the parts again." So I read the part. He looked at me again. He looked around and squared his fingers up like he was making a movie. I said, these are some strange-ass white people out here. <laughs> so, 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 then, so then he said, hey, um, you, you think you can wait for a couple hours here? We'll get you something to eat. I said, why? He said, um, can you wait for a couple hours? I said, yeah, I, I'll wait, but my plane leaves tonight and, uh, in a couple hours. Cause we're going to just fly in the fly out. So Darren talked for a little while. Then Nathan, you know, I see the door open. And I thought the person that was going to play the part was um, – I forgot his name too. Was uh yeah, so the door opened and when the door opened, in walked this old guy with the blonde hair and and then like, I said, Wait, that's Mickey Rourke right there. So Mickey Rourke came in, then he said, Hey Ernest, can you come back here and read read your part again? So I said, Yeah. So Mickey in there and I'm reading the part again and Mickey looked at Mickey and said, Oh, he got it. He he's a natural. I swear, Mickey said, he's a natural. We got to use him for this part. So I said, all right. So Mickey walked out and down. I said, hey, you got the part. He said, listen, we need you to practice with Mickey for a little while. 
And I was, I told Brad my team, he said, don't worry about it. We take care of all that. So Mickey got in the ring. And before we got in the ring, they had a ring inside the studio. So when we got in the, uh, before we got in the ring, Darren stopped me and said, Ernest, listen, so this is why we hired, we want you. You got the part. He said, this is why we want you because you can act, but now you got to make Mickey Roy look like a wrestler. Right. Let me tell you something. By that time, Mickey was in the ring. He had took some work from somebody. I think one of the, uh, I forgot who had worked with, uh, Kishi or one of the Kishi guys from that camp. He had worked with one of them. So Mickey was running across the ring, and when he said, you got to make Mickey look like a wrestler, I looked at Mickey, man. Mickey looked like he was 120 years old running across <laughs> the damn ring. I was like, how in the hell am I going to make him look like a wrestler? Look at that. So he started laughing. He said, well, that's why you got the job. <laughs> but once, once I started working with Mickey in the ring, man, he worked so hard, man, and, and he just wouldn't quit. He wanted to do all this high-flying stuff, and he just could barely – to get off the damn mat. So when he couldn't get off the when he couldn't get off the mat like that, I said, "Well, Mickey Rourke is, uh, you know, he remind me of DDP." So I just kept saying, "You know what? Okay, I work with him." So when I worked with him and we kept going through the matches and stuff, I saw hearing Mickey Rourke talk about how he was going to win the Oscar. Now I was like, "Man, this movie is not going to win the Oscar." So I just said. Yeah, I said, this movie is not going to win Oscar. It's just, just telling wrestling stories. It's not going to win Oscar. So, man, I got working with, with Mickey, man, and, and Mickey just worked really hard. Man. And next thing you know, I started getting write-ups from California saying that this little movie is supposed to do really well at the box office. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, it, just, it, it did. It turned my life around so much now. There are a lot of jobs and a lot of things I do now. That movie, just that one movie. And most people don't understand this. 99% of the actors and actresses that go into this business want to someday be win an Oscar or be in the movie that is nominated for the Oscar. That's right. all they want. That is the highlight of actors' life. You know, it's like the highlight is win an Oscar. That means you're the best at your area. You're the best at your position. So with you doing that right there to win the Oscar, that's what they wanted. So me being in that movie, Penzer, opened so many doors. I've been in CBS and NBC with president of the company that tell me, you know, that's one of their favorite movies. They love it. And the movie is still doing well. I'm still getting checks. You still get, And you get paid from a, a, a great movie. You get paid a long time from that movie. Yeah, uh, unlike uh, Mike Tanay's checks that he gets every year from Ready to Rumble, which I think uh, <laughs> weren't, weren't very aren't very big if you hear Mike tell it, but uh, I'm sure yours are. Hey, did you when you were filming that 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 movie? Did you have any idea how emotional it was going to turn out to be? How the the story would resonate so much, not only within the business but uh, let, outside? Let, let me tell you a story. So at the end of the at the end of the uh, thing, Darren come to me and Darren said, Ernest, listen, you got to be really convincing in this part. He said, I said, he said, because this is the last part. If people don't believe you, this going to ruin the whole movie. And he said, why? I said, because this is the make you or break you part. This is a, this is maybe the most important part of this movie. And it was when, it was when, he stepped back into the ring 
and he was about to do his last splash off the rope, but you it go off with him catching his chest and doing a heart attack, right? Right. So when Dara had me reading this part in the ring, and he had me telling Mickey, don't do it, don't do it, we've done enough, don't do it. Man, he was pulling something out of me, man. And this, why this dude is such a great director, man, this dude had tears coming out of my eyes because he kept saying, you got to give me more. You got to give me more. You got to really feel it, man. You care for this guy, and you think this guy's killing himself right in front of you. He said, you got to do it. Man, let me tell you something. He pulled so much emotional stress out of me that tears started coming from my, just because I was doing my job, and he was doing his job, and everybody was doing their job. That moment turned out to, I, I really got detail how great that moment was when year, when, when about six months or a year later, the movie came out, and I was teaching a karate class, and the movie just came out, and one of the girls in my class said, hey, I want to see that movie that you in last night. I said, oh, yeah. He said, she said, yeah, The Wrestler. I said, how did you like it? She said, I loved it. She said, I cried always. I cried through the movie. Then she said, I cried the most. I said, you cried? Then she said, yeah. I said, what part? So I cried on the part when you was in the ring and you were telling them not to. That's when I said, okay, man, that was a great one. I felt that doing it, that process, doing that part right there, it was like, it was, I mean, it was a ground shaker for me, you know, because, you know, here, here you are in the position, this guy trying to kill himself, and he's a friend. And once you put a friend on there, you're trying to stop him from doing it. It was such a, a impactful uh, part, man, powerful part in that movie. Oh, my God. When that screen went black and you realized that was it, uh, that's that's that was an emotional roller coaster, and uh, and and what what if you know? Part of me was like, that's it, and then part of me is like, uh, you know, that's all there needs to be. Uh, what a movie that that's ended up been, being. Yeah, that's what they said. But you know, they've been talking about doing a second part to it, and uh, I don't know how. But you know, the um, director and you know, we're a friend, Dyron and a, and a couple of guys. We're a good friend. I still talk to Mickey. But you know who was supposed to play Nick, Mickey Part was Nicolas Cage. I had heard that. So the first guy I worked out with was Nicolas Cage. He quit. This dude actually quit, man. <laughs> I know why. The movie was a $35 million, $30-some million dollar movie that his family was doing the production work. It was a $30-some million, dollars, I think, the movie was. When he dropped out of it, the movie only had $5 million, a 5 to $7 million movie with Mickey Roy. But Dara actually fired him because said, we don't want the money because Nicholas Cage couldn't break the part. Nicholas Cage was so, he was just, he said it was too hard. He told me that. After one day talking and working with him, he said, man, it's such a hard movie, man. It's just too hard on my body. You should have sent him down to the power plant giving him a couple hours with Sarge. <laughs> Sarge would have killed that guy. <laughs> he killed that guy, man. This guy, you should have heard he. You should have heard the way he was whining, man. Nicholas Cage complained about everything we did. He complained about it, and it was in the same day. They got rid of him by one o'clock, and then by two thirty or some, Mickey Rourke walking through the doors. Wow, and it re- it revitalized his career for a while, at least. Let me tell you something. It it really did, you know, because he wasn't he wasn't doing that great, man. And 
You know, I'm going to tell you something too, Penza. You know, probably, a lot of people probably hear this, but you know, I never try. I'm not the kind of person. I'm a, I'm a giver. I'm not the kind of person to try to take credit, but I am this time. Man, that dude couldn't do a damn thing without me in that movie. <laughs> he did. Nicky Broad couldn't fucking walk. He couldn't talk to talk. Everything that he did, I was right there with him, telling him to do it, how to do it, what to say, when to say it, when to give a little. Man, that you know what? He couldn't do that damn movie. To do the whole thing, through the whole thing, he could not do that movie. He didn't know anything about wrestling. None of them did. They thought they did. He didn't know anything about wrestling. Without me, without me being there saying, Mickey, now this is what you say. This is how you say it. Mickey was more nervous about this movie than I was. The, 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 the production guy and the chief of production came up and said, man, you wrestlers are blowing the actors away. <laughs> That's no lie. They said, you wrestlers are blowing the actors away in these parts. Because, you know, we knew. We, I'm in front of the TV every night you know, doing live shows. So this is easy. This cheating. Well, you could say cut and start over. Uh, you hear a lot of people say that who uh, go from wrestling uh, to movies. You know, The Rock has said the same thing and John Cena has said the same thing, how uh, it's it's uh, almost cheap. Yeah, but, but come on. But they still ain't been in the Oscar-nominated movie. When The Rock and <laughs> those guys in the Oscar-nominated movie, then they can talk. There you go. Hey, what are you doing now? I'd be remiss if Man, I didn't. You know what? Well, what I'm doing now is I, I went back into martial arts. I'm, I'm teaching a lot of kids, man. I'm shaping the future. That's what go. I like to tell people. I'm doing. I'm, shape, I'm shaping the future, you know, because I'm working with kids. I'm working with kids through uh, high school, uh, kids that are having trouble in school, you know, uh, the juvenile system. I'm working with the educational system. So I'm working with martial almost like therapy, man. You know, it's like I'm I'm not using it to teach another black bear. I'm using it to help kids to show kids how they can function with techniques that you can come by through martial arts. So it's really successful, man. You know, I got plenty of students, you know, two to three hundred students that I teach all over the world. I, I travel to tournaments. I still compete in tournaments. I just won the world karate sports tournament uh, world championship two years ago. Wow. So, you know, I'm still I'm standing in shape. I'm running. You know, I'm uh, I'm living right. You know, I'm just doing I'm doing what life's supposed to give you, man. I'm living life. I'm glad you're doing well. Uh, where where could uh where could people follow you? Are you on social media at all? Man, I'm on social media, man. I'm Ernest Cat Miller on uh Instagram, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. So just go on and look up Ernest Ernest Miller, Ernest the Cat Miller, and that's me. And I got some other stuff too. I got a TV project that I'm working on. Um, US Network was in the process of using it, you know. So I got something I'm doing for USA, uh, Discovery Channel, and uh, Disney. So you know, they all involve martial arts. I wish you the best of luck. I forgot how much of a fun guy you are. Uh, you're one of the one of the one of the uh, one of the most unique guys that uh, I think I've ever met in the business. And uh, hey, I... hey, hey, Penza, Penza, let me blow my horn a little bit. I did a show here in Atlanta about maybe three months ago, a wrestling show. And on the show, Shane Hams and and some of the guys was on the show. So when I came out, I was gonna do a match. So I did a match. I came out. I did a match, and all the guys were watching me. So when I got through, I walked back to the 
Curry, the first person that stopped me was Shane Hams. And Shane said, man, I forgot how talented and how much charisma you have, man. That was a great, fun match, you know? And uh, people forget you when you when they don't see you, but it's still here. You know, back in the old days, if you can do it one time, if you have it, you got it. And you got it, my friend. And I so appreciate the time uh, to, to chat with us. And, uh, hey, stay in touch. Best of luck in your projects. And I hope to see you down the road, man. I'll buy you a drink on me. Okay. Let's, let's make sure that happens, man. Talk okay. to you soon. Happy to be here. Wow, i got to tell you, for a show that started uh, pretty morose, uh, talking about the passing of, uh, of Mean Gene, and for good reason, uh, that, uh, as Jim Ross said, business picked up there. Uh, still the same old cat, I'll tell you that much. And uh, he's never changed from the first day I met him to, the, to chatting with him uh, today. And I am eager tonight. I will be, I, I assure you, I will be going on YouTube, and I will be looking at the... Uh, uh, dance off the thing that he did with James Brown, uh, just to reminisce. And I'll also go on WWE.com network and check out his appearance at the Royal Rumble. Uh, so I, if, if you, if you, uh, were an Ernest Miller fan, or if you're interested in seeing some of what he talked about, uh, in the flesh, that's the cool thing about technology. You can turn on your computer or your phone and, uh, and pull it up. So I encourage you to do so. And maybe we'll talk about it a little bit next week. As we said, next week, uh, Frankie Kazarian is going to drop by for just a few minutes and give us an update on all elite wrestling. So I'm really excited about that. The pep rally is tomorrow. They're supposed to make uh, a pretty big announcement. I don't know if it's going to be TV or, or what it's going to be, but, uh, but a lot going on there. And uh, also talking, hoping to talk next week to Angelina Love and let her tell the story of the beautiful people. Uh, one of my favorite uh, women's tag team probably ever. And so uh, we're hoping to get her on as well. But um, thank you for indulging me on uh, Mean Gene stuff at the top of the show. And uh, uh, he will be missed by so many people. I uh, can't even tell you. Uh, when you make the New York Times obituary uh, and you make uh, CBS News, uh, NBC and ABC, that's when you know you're more than a legend in the wrestling business. You're an icon in the world so he will be sorely missed and I will think about him often and enjoy our memories together for sure until next week ladies and gentlemen when we have Frankie Kazarian and hopefully Angelina Love this is David Penzer still City ringside follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer ringside you've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd, Quick Fix, on Radio Influence. When I was watching that fight, it did not seem like Nunez was that much smaller, like, strength-wise than Cyborg. No, no. I mean, one of the things is, right before that fight started... I just had this, I, w- I had this gut feeling. I'm like, Nunez going to pull it off. And, you know, the thing about it, like, and the UFC had this tweet after the fact of, you know, showing kind of the highlights of, of the barrage of punches. They said haymakers. And I'm like, it's not really haymakers because when you go back and you watch the, the, that just the, you know, what 51 seconds it was is the fact of the pinpoint accuracy 
that a man Nunez landed. I mean, clear, I mean, clearly, you know, her game plan was I'm going to get straight in the face of Chris Cyborg and I'm going to bring the fight to her and, and just and I know that there's some people who want to debate this, but how can you not debate right now that a man Nunez is the greatest women's fighter of all time? I don't know when you look at her resume I, and, and and one person you know commented to me said, well, I like to see a longer winning streak. Okay, I get that when you look at what Chris Cyborg has done throughout her career, but I, I think that you just you look at the if you compare resumes between Chris Cyborg and a man Nunez, a man Nunez is a resume is better. You take away the win over Cyborg, it's better. She's faced better competition, and that's a hundred percent due to the fact that Chris Cyborg didn't fight at one thirty five. I mean, the one hundred and forty five pound division on which Chris Cyborg built her legacy just straight up sucks. But she's still, based on her legacy and based on how long Cyborg has been doing it, Cyborg established herself as the goat. I mean, there was a point in time when Ronda Rousey obviously made the argument. There was a point in time when Yuana Janjic obviously made the argument. But both those cases faltered. You know, Amanda Nunez was the reason why Ronda was a big reason why Ronda Rousey's case faltered. And so, really, the only fighter you would argue uh, that Nunez is not better than in terms of the all-time rankings is the fighter she just beat in 51 seconds. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.